This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. He's trying to come up with a solution to take us to Mars. And I go, well, well, what if that's not the right solution? What if the metaverse is? Because the more time we spend in the digital world, especially as it relies on to blockchain and we build it on top of efficient energy systems such as Bitcoin and blockchain, right? The less time we spend in the current system, which means global warming, you know, we, we actually start to, to make progress there, mm. right? What about, and then what about one of the other big problems? Inequality or the, the thing that drives inequality is debt. Right, that's the, that's the problem. You know, the first thing that we know is as people, you know, like think about it. We're all young. What's my first experience in the financial ex- system? I, I'm I'm in you, debt. You come in with debt. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not earning for my existence. I, I, it's costing me mm-hmm. to exist. All right, welcome back to the Investors Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking all things Bitcoin and why we are super bullish on it and just the transition that we're going through in everything in the world right now. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, we've been in the space for a little bit and, and I, know, I mean, we've probably talked about it quite a bit lately, but yeah. uh, I think there's a good case for it, you know, and I think that there's good reason and... Um, Especially right now, like, you know, this is, things are really starting to heat up in this space and there's a lot happening. And, and I think, I know for me personally, I've been getting a lot of questions about it. You would, you would be as well and having a lot of conversations about it. And, um, you know, again, the goal of what we're trying to do here is more just help navigate, right? So, so kind of bring insights that you guys can listen to, you can tune into. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a great way for you for people who aren't invested or who have just dipped their toes in to, to understand how to navigate this space because the reality is is that you know a lot of our listeners don't necessarily um, follow the markets they're not yeah. researching all the time mm. they're not looking at you know and, and reading all the articles and, and 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 they're not in that network so mm. what we're trying to do is is basically just bring that information here because we know mm. that they do listen here mm. um, which is which is great for for them, um, and and it's great for us because we enjoy talking about it. Well, it also it just res- like compounds our conviction as well in this space too, uh, just by having these sort of conversations. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Disco, welcome to the potty. <laughs> Hello, Disco how are we doing? Jay. So we we, we are. I've, I've officially given uh, John his nickname. It's Disco. I don't know why. I think he kind of, you know, if we were in the seventies right now, he'd be Disco John on the deck so we're going to run with it um but i think i think john you'll be able to because because i mean how 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 deep into this space are you uh i reckon let's i reckon 10 percent. 10 percent, cool 10%. I, and, and that's what i like you know i, I think i think you'll be able to kind of maybe ask some questions and, and bring some insight to this and and help you know help navigate the conversation from somebody who's not so so bullish on it so someone who's not you know reading the articles and, and, and doing all those things as well. So good stuff, Disco. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so technically the reason why we invest our money, whether it's into property or if it's into shares, it all comes down to inflation and basically re- preserving the wealth that we accumulate from our business or our job or whatever the case may be. And so the number one question you have to ask yourself is what is inflation and what role does that play on the economy and on myself? And so when you factor that in, 
inflation is a, a figure that is derived from all different types of products and services that we are out consuming uh, on a day-to-day basis and it factors in um, the money supply and credit and everything like that. And when you start to think about it in those terms, uh, you start to think about... uh, So the central banks try to keep that target at about 2%. And when you then think about that, so you want to be storing your money into an asset that will outperform that sort of benchmark. And so typically you'll look at the fixed income, the bond market, you'd say you probably want a 2% return on top of that, so 4% return, and then... Uh, For the inherent risk that stocks have, equities have, uh, you probably factor in an extra 2% on top of that, so about 6%. Now, with everything that's happened because of COVID and the printing of money and expanding the M2 money supply, we are now seeing a period where inflation is currently at 5.4%. But you can really, like, you can come up with a basket of any sort of number, like, Bitcoin, if you use Bitcoin as your standard of inflation, that's been up, uh, going up 100% per annum uh, since adoption. Uh, and so same thing can be said of property. Property has been expanding because the money supply has been expanding as well. And so because of that, we're now seeing a period where, like it's kind of scary, you're seeing within the supermarkets, you're seeing goods obviously going up in price or uh, there's vacant spots as well because supply chains are starting to break down. Uh, we're seeing uh, fuel prices like all over the world just going skyrocketing and there's supply shortages. Like you see people queuing in the UK because they're running out of fuel. Happening in uh, Venezuela too. Uh, And it's happening with all sorts of goods. And so uh, I also heard recently that uh, logistics, uh, the revenue has increased by 50% because their costs have increased by 50% from 12 months ago. You factor that in and... There's no wonder why we're seeing all of these um, uh, price increases. But the, what, what's the one thing that's being lagging behind? It's your wages. And so we're looking at a period over the next 10 years or so where we could have stagflation, where GDP sort of drops. Uh, we're seeing a period where uh, the economic growth in China has started to slow down. In the US, it's starting to slow down. Um, and wages are staying stagnant. And so because of that, we're seeing this stagflation where you're going to start to see prices in equity and property and all these sorts of things just stand still. What's stagflation for, for the listeners at home? So like, what, is, what does that mean? So stagflation is when you have a period of high inflation, but low um, economic growth. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? So because um, of the supply shortages, it means that, you know, these kind of products and services and... Um, you know, uh, there's shortages, right? And that's what that means. They're scarce, and we know what happens to to things that are scarce, right? When it comes to value, they become more valuable, which means the price goes up. So, um, because of these trade shortages and 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 things happening, it, it's we're obviously seeing all these, you know, like petrol. We're seeing all of these costs of goods go through the roof. You, you're waiting on um, packages to arrive, and they're taking weeks. I don't. You live near the bay here in Melbourne. Have you seen all the cargo ships yeah. lined out in the bay? Yeah. All waiting is. to get through. There's so much congestion, and for some reason, I don't know. I actually don't know why the uh, supply chains have been breaking down. Whether there's been a, a lack of um, capital expenditure, there might be a lack of staff because of COVID restrictions and all that sort of thing. But it's just getting banked up, and it's um, delaying everything. 
And so because we're, we're seeing all of these delays, you're now starting to see that in terms of prices. And you see the, the central bankers come out saying that uh, this inflation is transitory, um, which may be the case in, in some cases like with used cars and all these sorts of things, but everything else, this inflation's here to stay. And that's only what we're reporting too. Though, those CPI numbers, um, they only factor in uh, the cost of like food, electricity. All the, it doesn't factor in uh, inflation within uh, equities, in property, within Bitcoin, all these sort of things. And so um, when we start to see it in that sort of terms, inflation is starting to run away from us um, and it's going to lead to a lot of, um, a lot of issues. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I'll come. I look at this from like a psychological perspective as well. Like, it's like, okay, well, we've got these shortages. We've got people with more savings than ever, right? And you know, if, if not only does shortages mean higher prices, but it also means that there's less of those things to buy, which means people change where they spend their money, mm-hmm. you know, and because we're seeing savings, you know, um, like people having more savings than they've ever had. You know, we're seeing things like property go through the roof because that's where their money goes. Like, if I'm not spending it on, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not, um, you know, I change the way uh, I purchase groceries because it, they go up. You know, maybe I can't go out anymore. You know, I can't go to restaurants. I can't do these things if you're in a in a in a um, you know a country that or a state that doesn't do the it, it, that is disallowed for, with, from, from those things at the moment, right? So psychologically, you know. That's probably why we're seeing things such as property go through the roof because people have more money. They might change what they're spending their money on because of the cost of goods going up, mm-hmm. and and obviously the prices as well. Well, I don't want to buy that. I don't want to spend. You know, I don't want to spend money on that anymore. So, um, I think that's really important. And then back to your initial point, I, I think um, you, you, we kind of talked about a store of value, right? You know, so so um, invest your money to create a store of value, but but is that good enough anymore? Right, you know, and I think this is why we're seeing mass adoption of crypto. Right, is because crypto is probably one of those assets where the potentials is not just to keep up with inflation and 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 store your money, but you can actually outpace that. And and I think that's why we're seeing mass adoption. It's like, you know, there, there's people even in only investing small amounts that are going to, you know, they're seeing these returns, and then that's kind of creating more confidence for them to actually invest more in the space. And, and that's, you know, that's why, that's kind of where we're, we're at right now, mm-hmm. um, which is, it's really interesting, you know, from a psychological perspective, what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And people are thinking, like, what's, like, what's uh, the solution for all this? Like, why don't central bankers start lifting rates, um, making, uh, stop all this QE that's entering into the market? But they don't really have a choice. Uh, they have reached this period where they only really have two choices. They need to mm. either let interest rates run, which will cause markets all around the world to suffer and it could potentially lead us into uh, the next depression. Uh, and so the only other issue or the only other solution to that is to continue printing and the uh, printing money will um, allow them to sort of go bankrupt, uh, which will then allow that debt problem to go away. Um, but that is a headache, obviously, uh, as you go down because then you're starting to see countries like Russia and China are uh, using the euro instead of the US dollar as their reserve currency. And so a lot, of, uh, a lot of the debt that the US has been using in order to drive their economy and to grow their economy, that's now starting to evaporate. Mm. And so we're now hearing talks of uh, the Fed coming out and, um, and tapering these bond repurchases and these sort of things 
what we don't realise is going to continue, like, because they want to do that because inflation is running hot. Uh, and so they're thinking that if they can do that, uh, they'll restrict uh, all the money that is being liquidated into the economy. Uh, but what will tend to happen is now that we're seeing all these supply shocks and everything like that, we're going to go down this avenue where we start to, uh, economic growth will start to slow down. Economic growth slows down, we have higher unemployment, we see people defaulting on their loans, all these sort of things. And so um, it'll be a catastrophe if that happens. And money's being lent like no tomorrow, you know, or has been over the last, you know, probably six to 12 months, right? So mm. I think that's, that's important because, you know, when that economic growth slows down mm. and, and the, you know, the, they've come out and said that, that they believe they've overdone it, you know, yeah. that's, that's really what we're saying. Here. But I feel the, sorry for them. They don't have any other choice. No. Like, if I, I think, I honestly have to think, like, what would I do in this scenario? It would be the same thing. The only thing that they can do is to continue to print money in order to continue to drive economic growth so that we don't have a period where we have so much unemployment. You look at what's happening in the US right now and how many uh, people are living homeless, you know, and this is just a, a repercussion of what has been happening. Like, I, I like to look at it uh, in terms of, like, say you take off and you're, you're on a flight from Sydney to Los Angeles you're halfway over the Pacific Ocean and you realise that there's a hole in your fuel tank and you've got a funnel that you can, or like a hose that you can uh, attach and pour that fuel back into your fuel tank but you're still obviously losing some in order to try and get to LA but there's nowhere for you to land. Uh, if you don't use the hose to, to re-pump it back into your fuel tank, you're just going to crash into the ocean. They're just trying to find like the next landing strip but... Mm. There's nothing... It's like a Band-Aid solution. It's a bit... They're kicking the can down the road. Mm. Exactly. And so there's no real solution for them and so the only thing that they have is to continue to print money and that's the only way they'll get out of this debt uh, spiral. But then there's obviously going to be repercussions for that down the line because what happens to that money? There's only two options for that money for where it will go. Uh, you either give that money out as QE, which they're currently doing, which goes into the balance sheets of your banks. QE is quantitative easing as quantitative well. So that's, yeah. that's kind of putting money into the system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a term of uh, loose fiscal policy. So when they do that, that money then, uh, it goes into the big banks, it goes into your apples who are purchasing these sort of bonds and that sort of thing. Uh, and that drives up the market cap which then benefits the top 1-2%. Mm. And this is why you're starting to see a lot of uproar about your, your billionaires uh, going up to space and that sort of thing. Everyone feels like there could be a better use of that money. What's the alternative? OBI, where you give out this money, which we're seeing here in Australia uh, because of the lockdowns. You're seeing all this money being pumped out to, to people who have lost their jobs and all that sort of thing. But what do they do with that money? They go and spend it at Woolworths. <laughs> they go and deposit that money in the bank. They go, in, uh, they go out and they get uh, a, a mortgage and that sort of thing. Adds to the bottom line. Again, of these businesses, market caps go up, benefits the top 1%, 2%. And so when you think about that, uh, there's a lot of... Um, like it takes away that fairness within the system. And like we grow up thinking that it's an open and fair system when truly it's not. Capitalism sort of works in that way that it feeds the top 1%. Uh, and so there's all those inherent issues there too. But, and, and that's why like, we look at an alternative like Bitcoin, which is decentralised and isn't attached to the mainstream system. Um, and we're, we're probably going to see a lot of um, money head into that space soon. Yeah, I mean, 
I can't help but really think about this and 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 kind of go well. You know, it's just the unraveling of the world. You know, and, and not to a point where I think the world's going to end or or anything like that. But I often think, and and we kind of look at all everything that's happening from a a blockchain perspective, and we go, okay, well, we're, we're seeing. You know, we talked about NFTs last week. We're seeing social tokens. We're seeing cryptocurrencies. Um, come in and and you know things like bitcoin which is hope for a new financial system things like nfts which is hope for a new um a new uh revenue generation strategy for businesses social tokens same thing uh, and 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 then we're looking at things such as you know the metaverse and and that's uh, you know basically the digital universe right that we can exist in that we can have identity in and I can't help but think, and I actually wrote this down, so I'm going to try to pull this up, but I can't help but think that we're creating a digital universe to, to escape the current universe that we exist in. And that sounds very, that can scare a lot of people. And it's not to say that we're not going to exist in the real world, but I think we need to spend less time in the real world. And people look at this as a negative, right? So whenever you hear people you know, you hear about kids, right? And kids spending so much time online and so much time on video games and so much time on things. Previously, and still to this day, this was seen as a negative. And a lot of people are like, yeah, that's bad for their mental health. It's bad for this, it's bad for that. But part of me goes, are we spending more time in the digital universe and especially the younger kids due to the innovation that's happening because we actually need to spend less time in this world, Mm -hmm. right? Because if we don't, we're going to continue to ruin it. Mm-hmm. Global warming, right? So, yes, global warming is, 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 I think it exists, right? There's people that will argue, you know, but, but it, it's, the signs are there, okay? So, so, how do we fix that, right? Will we spend less time focusing on fucking ruining, ruining it, you know? Like, where do we get energy from? It's a hard shift, though. And, like, in saying that, too, we're going through an energy crisis right now. So that doesn't help our cause. And when I say we're going through an energy crisis, we're seeing uh, the price of oil obviously But why are we going through an energy crisis? Because of, uh, there's so much pressure on the systems because populations have been expanding. Infrastructure hasn't been, uh, money hasn't been spent on infrastructure to uh, in expand um, those capabilities. But then because we're also shifting towards this ECG sort of uh, climate where we are worried about sustainability and all this sort of thing, those sort of technologies are still new. And so because of that, uh, the costs are quite high. And so that's why we're seeing a massive rise in the cost of energy. And when you, like, there's not enough uh, evidence or not enough being written up about uh, the current uh, financial system and the way that they use energy too. So any sort of transaction that we use, and it's about 70, 80% of transactions are now uh, via card and, and that sort of thing. There is a two three percent cost on every single transaction uh, for for those sort of payments. You factor in how much though that two three percent, like how many how many payments are made, hundreds of billions every single year. You factor in two three percent of that. They're all direct costs in regards to um, the energy sector. And so, if people actually knew how the the energy uh, the energy sector worked, they would then realise that there. And there's also a lot of spillover too. And a lot of that is just being wasted currently. And so this is where Bitcoin comes in. They can use that spillover in order to mine and then progress uh, this new technology and innovation too. 
And so there's all the FUD around, um, around Bitcoin mining and how it's bad for the environment. The current traditional system uses so much more energy than what so Bitcoin does. And like we're seeing it even with China with the crackdown on mining and all that sort of thing. China is doing that because they're, they have such a massive energy uh, issue within their own country. They're going to vac- uh, factories and telling them to shut down those warehouses because their grid is just overloaded. But that, th- this was kind of my point. Like going back to my original point, like was like, okay, so, so why is there an energy like problem? And it's mm-hmm. because it's inefficient. Yes. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so why do we have, you know, like, like Bitcoin is way more efficient in terms of per unit, right? Like it's just so much more efficient. If you were to weigh those two systems up, one is better than, than the other. And it's like, you know, I, I kind of believe that if you look at literally a lot of the different systems that are completely reliant on the financial system, mm-hmm. you know, so we, I, I look at things like politics, Right. Here we go. You know, like, but think about <laughs> it, right? A, where, a topic where are you that going? Kyle <laughs> but, talks no, about but, but think about it. Like, we, we, I, I, I have a belief that we have to spend less time in this world, right? Because if we keep using the current system, right, for, um, you know, uh, like, you know, the current energy system, global warming will continue to. It'll, it'll become a, a, an even worse problem. Like Elon Musk, you know, I was having this in my head the other day. He's trying to come up with a solution to take us to Mars. And I go, well, well, what if that's not the right solution? What if the metaverse is? Because the more time we spend in the digital world, especially as it relies on to blockchain and we build it on top of efficient energy systems such as Bitcoin and blockchain, right, the less time we spend in the current system, which means global warming, you know, we, we actually start to, to make progress there, mm. right? What about, and then what about one of the other big problems? Inequality. Right, we just talked about it. The homeless, the wealth, the wealth gap. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, well, you know, like the, you know, the reality is the biggest problem or the, the thing that drives inequality is debt. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the, that's the problem. You know, the first thing that we know is as people, you know, like think about it. We're all young, right? What's the dream of someone young? Buy a property. What's the first thing? What's my first experience in the financial ex- system? I, I'm I'm in you, debt. You come in with debt. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not earning. For my existence, I'm actually, it's costing me mm-hmm. to exist, mm-hmm. right? And costing me a lot, mm-hmm. right? So, so inequality is driven by debt and that's at the core of how we spend and, and kind of how we exist on, on earth. We never really get out of debt. Yeah, imagine if your first uh, contact with money was through actually accumulating it. Like imagine going off and playing like a Roblox or an Axie Infinity or something and you're actually starting to build some money there rather than, as you said, coming out with debt, like as you, when you go to university and you, you build up your debt and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Imagine that was your first interaction with money yeah. and how positive that relationship would be. And, and, and you know, I, I, we, we, we take so much from the, the earth, right? Like we literally draw everything from it and we needed to do that. That's what's helped innovation get to this point. But at the moment, we don't give the earth back what it deserves, right? So, so we treat it like shit, you know what I mean? Like... It's ridiculous, um, and and I think about it, and I go, okay, well, you know, what if we didn't need to take from the earth for that energy? We talked about this last week. What if what if we use solar panels? What if we did these things, right? You know, again, we could use, and that could generate energy. You know, what if we didn't need to take resources, and we didn't rely so heavily on, you know, or, or kind of use property as that that wealth building mechanism. You know, like, like, and, and be so reliant on that, you know, so that we have to keep building, right, and, and, and so on. And we do because of populations. But imagine everyone had one house and instead we use digital property, 
right? What would that do for the Earth? What would that do for global warming, right? Well, this entire space too, like it seeks out the most energy efficient uh, resources because you look at, uh, especially with Bitcoin, the hash rate is determined, like that factors in the cost and that's your reward for mining Bitcoin. And so as that hash rate continues to rise, uh, you need, and because Bitcoin's price is uh, still appreciating, you need to seek out the most cost-effective means for, for mining that, uh, those Bitcoins. And so in order to do that, we now see um, miners turning towards um, sustainable energy. We will probably start to see um, more innovation and technology in nuclear power uh, and all these sort of uh, advanced fields. And so once we start to see all of that, like El Salvador is looking at uh, mining from um, the energy produced from volcanoes. Like we need to start incorporating those sort of uh, use cases instead of the traditional ones, but that's going to take time in order for that to happen. And, and Moore's laws dictates that um, over time those costs will come down as the technology improves. But it's just a waiting game for that to happen. Mm. And so, yeah. It's just been playing on my mind, like, you know, the metaverse, is. it seems like this thing that's so far away and it seems like this thing that is like, it's like a game almost, it's just technological, but uh, I've been playing with this thing in my mind, like what if this is just a solution, right, that we had to come up with as humans to survive, you know, like you, you've got Elon Musk, right, who's trying, you know, his thing is like, I, I just want to save the planet, like, you know, he, he kind of probably seen this before most and said, well, we're going to this point, I want to come up with the solutions, but I think I keep kind of coming to this uh, this kind of solution where it's like it is the metaverse and and if we do spend more time in the metaverse it means we spend less time on planet earth and 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 maybe that's not a bad thing right because the metaverse, it, the metaverse though is it's such a far-reaching sort of concept like we're still trying to get people to convince to buy bitcoin mm. you know and so you need to sort of overcome that hurdle before we start to to utilize this but i don't think people need to know what the metaverse is right like we 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 as humans don't need to know what something is to use it Mm. i mean technically like instagram and facebook they're they're somewhat of a metaverse exactly right exactly exactly um and i think you know i I, you know it's funny right because i think what we're seeing is is that we and the reason we're having such negative experiences with the metaverse right that digital universe that we exist in is because it's built from people or businesses that live in this old system Right, what we're going to see is the new system. Like we're seeing things such as DAOs, right, which are decentralized organizations. It's like a decentralized company. Like there's where it's controlled by the community for the community, right? Now, the what as opposed to the current system where it's owned by the top one percent and they're the one who dictate the terms. Exactly, and they're happy for their their companies to be trading at their sort of levels because it's currently based on the the treasury yield at the one point three percent. And they're always going to do what's in best interest for them. Like Mark Zuckerberg, he's always going to do what's in the best interest of fucking Mark Zuckerberg. Like, he doesn't care about anyone else. And, you know, even some of these companies like Apple who try to play the good guy, like, you know, Apple, if they're you still, really care... They're still trying to please their owners. Yeah. Their it, shareholders. Exactly, right? And, and that is what drives that bias. And that bias is what put, that's creates that wealth gap and, and, and creates a lot of these inefficiencies that we're talking about. And, mm. and I think now what we're seeing is massive innovation mm. coming from, you, you know 
crypto and blockchain companies like Axie Infinity, who only, you know, like literally take five, 4.5% of revenue generated and then the rest of that 95% goes to its users. And we're seeing this in countries that are under, um, un, underserved as well, you know, like Axie Infinity is from the Philippines. We're seeing uh, so much utility in Central Africa as well, in like Nigeria, uh, Ghana, uh, uh, Central America as well, South America, uh, just with uh, El Salvador. I mean, it's funny in a way. El Salvador has solved the uh, the whole payment system and the issues around the payment system. Like day to day, dealing with your own bank is such a it's an arduous concept. Uh, they uh, they hold on to your money and they run all these sort of checks because they have to deal with their own compliance and liquidity issues and all this sort of thing. El Salvador has solved the whole situation and any sort of, um, like they use this, the second layer of Bitcoin in order to do that via the Lightning Network and they have now solved uh, instantaneous payment mm. between uh, a consumer and an organisation and so you can go into McDonald's now and you can scan a QR code and pay McDonald's uh, in order to get your meal instantaneously. McDonald's then don't have to pay their 2 3% fee to Visa and MasterCard it's so much more efficient and yet we're seeing these adoption take place in third world countries compared to our modern uh, Western world equivalents. They've got a better system than what we do now. Yeah, but, uh, and and it's, I'm just sort of saying like mm. it's, it's solving that inequality in that they're on a far more efficient system. They're going to see a whole lot more capital come into that country as well. But wait until these organize like this... Uh, QR code system, the Lightning Network, is now ingrained into the McDonald's system. Wait until they start rolling that out across the world. They're going to save 2-3% costs, which is going to boost their bottom line, which is going to please their shareholders. You think this isn't going to roll out to every single company around the world? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's like, you know... Why do you think Visa is going so hard into crypto and they're buying NFTs and all this sort of thing? It's a no-brainer. Mm. And I think the thing, you know, the question I ask is like, why do those, why does that two and three percent even exist, right? And and you, well, it's you, them controlling the network. It's their, it's the centralized nature of the network. Yeah, yeah, we see the same thing with your your Instagram model and your Facebook model, your YouTube model. They take their clip first, and then they pay their distributor. Whereas this whole crypto space is reversing that on its head. The creator gets paid first. And they'll have continual payments as they go as well uh, via royalties and whatnot. Too. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to say, right? That that two and three percent exists because it has to because of the system that it exists in, mm-hmm. right? Where the the mm. the person at the top, the Zuckerbergs, the Tim Cooks, the, the all of these guys will always do what's best for them for the for the top one percent. Whereas what we see, and this is where I was coming with the DAO and the decentralized organization, is like. You know, they do what's best for the community. They do what's best for their users. They would, they do what's best for everyone. And I think that even the 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 thing that I kind of realised probably over the last week, which is even better, is that there isn't the difference between the old system and and the current system is everyone over here is trying to be a monopoly, mm-hmm. right? That's that's Facebook. That's in, uh, um, Apple. That's you know Amazon. They're all doing everything they possibly can to be a monopoly. And just think about that from a psychological perspective. Like you're doing everything you can to be the only one that succeeds. Whereas you've got these other organizations where they don't care because you can exist and have identity as a user in as many as you want. Mm -hmm. And 
still earn yield because there's no debt. And this is you the, don't owe anyone anything, exactly. right? Yeah. And that means that you're not you're not you're not uh, rigid, right? You can be flexible. You can exist in many different, and everybody can succeed because we're not having to pay back anything. And this instead, is, this we're is, earning. We're moving towards yeah. something. And I just think like. Once you see this shit, you can't unsee it. This is the open and fair economy that we were gr- like brought up with, you know, like thinking that everything was fair and that we all have a shot at achieving like the Australian dream or the uh, the American dream and all that sort of thing. This is the open and fair economy that we all sort of, uh, yeah, it was the dream that we we all grew up with. This you know? is the and system now we're that we have a system in place. This is the system that. We, we think we have, yeah, well, but yeah. we don't. Yeah. Well, that's it. Exactly. You eventually, the older you get, you realise that it, it's far more rigged than it, it should be. Uh, you can see that uh, even from uh, the SEC and them approving this ETF. So the ETF, yes, it, it provides more exposure to, to crypto and to Bitcoin and that sort of thing. But, and they think that it's, it's doing the people the right thing because it's settled in cash uh, you don't have to hold on to your private keys, so you're not going to lose your money. Like it's a massive slap in the face to people because uh, futures it's it's derived in futures contracts, which are only uh, they're only allowed to exist for people who are considered accredited investors. So people who have two million dollars in net worth, or their their income is uh, over two hundred thousand for two consecutive years. Mm. And so the issue with this thing is. With this contract, it's the Wall Street bankers who are actually going to make money because the ARBs are going to be the ones who purchase the Bitcoin, but they're going to charge that ETF at a premium because they're going to take their fee, the mm-hmm. lawyer's going to take their fee, the accountant's going to take their fee, the auditor's going to take their fee, and then all of a sudden, you're sitting over there holding onto your ETF um, with a performance of, say, 100%. I'll be sitting over here holding onto my own digital asset uh, holding on to my Bitcoin and I'll be up 400%. And you'll be wondering why the hell is that the case? Mm. But It's I mean, like a false positive, right? It's a false, yeah, 100%. It is, it's an absolute joke. But it's again, it comes down to control and the government saying that you are not to be trusted with your own hard-earned money. Mm. Wall Street bankers know better. So, so John, I'm I'm interested to hear because you, you're we obviously said at the start and and spoken. You're probably ten percent in this field. Like, what questions do you have around what we just talked about, or what insights can you share, or does like did, you know like how do you see that? Well, yeah, from from only being ten percent in, you know, you you definitely are learning every day, and even just being in the last few podcasts, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely nowhere near where I need to be. And then you always feel like you are missing out. You know, the biggest question I always have is like, what is the right time to actually invest? Is it always the right time? Do you have to wait for some sort of, you know, decrease in value and then it goes up again? Or it's, it seems like from your conversations that it always is going up. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's such a good point because like, you know, um, my partner Liv, right? She, she hits you up yeah, <laughs> whenever she needs advice <laughs> or whatever, right? But it's like... <laughs> Um, you know, she kind of says the same thing. She's like, oh, do I buy now, right? And it's like, well, she knows it's a good decision, but she's like, okay, well, is it the right time? And, and I think it's a great question. So you have to weigh up the opportunity cost of it all. So in my point of view, you just dollar cost average your way in. If you have a lump, like a lump sum that you need to put in, maybe break that down into equal lots of, I don't know, four or five payments or whatever, 
and then that way you're capturing all different prices. So you might buy the first of this month, the first of next month, the first of the following month and that sort of thing. But you need to really weigh up the opportunity cost. So if you have that money sitting in cash, you need to factor in that your purchasing power is decreasing because the money supply is increasing. So this is a thing that really, like people do not understand this and there needs to be more exposure to it. Money, the M2 money supply has been expanding since 2008 at 15 to 20% per year. So when you factor, and that doesn't even include inflation on top of that. When you factor that in, you have the S&P 500 uh, going up by a factor of 8 to 10%. You have property that goes up at maybe 6 7% a year. Uh, and then you have your interest rate, which is currently at 1.3%. So you are actually losing out by that margin. So even, even equities, from that sense, they're losing. But they only measure it against inflation. And so the historical average for inflation is 2%. And so everyone thinks that because I've got my money in, um, in the S&P 500 going at 8%, I'm beating the market by 6%. What you're not factoring in is that the money supply has been expanding and so your purchasing power, even on that money that's being invested, is losing out. Meanwhile, there's over here on the side is this asset that has been accruing or has been appreciating at 100% per year with a greater sharp ratio, which is a risk metric, has a greater sharp ratio than any other asset class and it's not correlated to any other asset as well. And yet, like you have... Uh, uh, it just... It's so upsetting because you have fund managers that come out and say that we can't invest someone who's 60. We can't invest their money into it because it's so volatile. I say, if you put 1% of their net worth into Bitcoin and you keep the other 99% in cash, that 1% will be on par with someone who's invested 100% in the S&P 500. And along the way, you'll be less volatile because you still have that 99%. And over time, that 1% will far outweigh how much that, uh, that 99% is worth. How, how can you say that, like, I think it is derelict of their duty to actually say that they can't invest even 1% of their portfolio into these things. And once uh, pension funds realise this, like once your big sovereign states start to realise this, that inflation isn't going away, their real rate is going to only be 4% per year, negative uh, 4% per year. So if you buy that bond, you are guaranteed to lose money. How can you then say that like, you can't put a small allocation of that into Bitcoin? This money is coming and it's, coming, it's going to be coming in waves. Like, and this is going to lead us up to the point where we have a million dollar Bitcoin. It's not coming from an ETF. This money is coming from your big pension funds mm. and your other institutions. The other thing I found, like, you know, just listening to you guys talk is we're in, uh, you know, it's like history repeats itself. Like, you know, that cycle that you're talking about, you know, you've got your, you know, your power up here, the one, 2%. Yeah. We grow into a, a lifestyle that's like, all right, you have to then buy your dream home, you get into the debt, you know, and that's just like the circle repeating itself. And that's how it's probably been for the last, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, we're at a point where we're at an age where we sort of sit with that sort of lifestyle, but we've also got the, the new, you know, generations that basically a lot of them are, are born into that metaverse, which is Instagram influencers and this and that, you know, our parents don't realize what that is and how they make that an income. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so we're on the cusp of both sides. Uh, I think our generation, we're okay because we, we're willing to give uh, this opportunity, invest in it and see what happens. The older ones... Uh, with their supers and that, it's like it's too hard. They're long gone. I've got a I've got a bit of a different perspective on this, and I think it's the metaverse was created so they don't understand it. Because mm. if they did understand it, it wouldn't fix. It, like Bitcoin is not just an investment that's going to make you a lot of money. It's a solution to a lot of the world's inefficiencies. But if you know, like like Warren Buffett, you know, someone you look up to pretty heavily, but even him, someone so smart, is not paying enough attention and respect to this solution, right? But why? Because he's 90-whatever, right? He's 90 years old. It's not for him to get. And then the other side of it is humans. What you just said before, why do humans go out and buy property? Yes, it's a home, but because they know that it's going to make them money. Humans at the very core of what they do are very selfish people. We will always do what's in our own best interest, I, uh, easiest example, look at any AFL footballer over the last 10 years or 15 years that's had a really good year and potentially won a Brownlow. I can almost guarantee you the following year, their contract finished, <laughs> right? They don't, like 100%, Dustin Martin, his best year of his whole career to date, and he's had a lot of good years, was the year his contract ended. Jordan Dugowie, there's... There's talks in, in the paper at the moment about his contract, right? He's in, he's in LA or, or wherever he is training at the moment. That's funny. He's never done that before. His contract's finished next year. Humans, the reason we go through the same cycles is because we want to see progress, because we want to do these things. The reason why Warren Buffett refuses to see this amazing solution is because his whole career pens on the old system. Right, So we as humans are biased. I want Bitcoin to succeed because I know it's going to benefit me. It's going to make my life, not just when this money's made, but my kids' lives and, and, and the future, the next 30 years of my life, abundant. Right, The 60-year-old, the 70-year-old, it actually could do the opposite because they don't get the internet. They don't get the metaverse. They don't get Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin succeeds tomorrow, it makes their life worse. And that really is what we're seeing here in a nutshell. This is not something that they should get because if they get it, it doesn't fix the world's problems. They take over, they build systems around it to make sure that the people who are in charge, the older generations, keep stealing from the younger generations and that's the world that we live in. We and see these shifts, uh, these system shifts all the time as well. We just obviously haven't seen it within our lifetime because they happen over a greater period of time. The last system worked. Like it worked for its specific period. We're now shifting towards a new one because with the old one there were inherent risks and it was built up on credit uh, and we didn't spend enough time making sure that all of these baby boomers had enough money in order to fund their retirements on all these sort of things. And so uh, the only way that we can now afford all of this is to continue to print more money so that they can afford to live and we can pay them a pension and all these sort of things. That inherently hurts everybody, anyone new coming into the system because we're seeing asset prices just appreciate to the point where people are getting priced out of property, stocks are expensive, especially like... You factor in that the interest rate is so low and it's so easy to go out and get a loan and all these sort of things. 
And, but now we're starting to see the repercussions of all of this because you look at what's happening over in China where 70% of... also uh, Chinese people have 70% of their net worth within the, the real estate sector because their property sector has just been going higher and higher for the last 20 years. They didn't even suffer a downturn during the GFC. But we've now seen the greed of all of that spill over and you, you, like we've seen it with all these ghost cities and all this sort of thing. There just hasn't been the demand for them. And so what are they to do? They're now lowering those prices and there's still no demand for it. And so they're now having to write off a lot of those loans uh, and which is why we're now seeing the issue with Evergrande uh, with their $300 billion uh, liability on their balance sheet. We don't know what China's going to do because they're very sneaky and they're very <laughs> stealth around their policy making and all this sort of thing. But what we're probably going to see is they're going to shift that $300 billion onto the other two um, property developers in the region who are who have similar amount of debt. Imagine having, uh, imagine being a contractor and someone says, "All right, here's my half half-ass finished project. You go and deal with it." Yeah. You know, and and so this repercussion we're probably going to see spill over because a lot of the lending that went into that space was from international banks, uh, corporations around Europe, around the US and all these sort of things. We're starting to see the impact on uh, our iron ore here in Australia. There's going to be less demand for it because there's less demand for property in the in China too. And so we don't know what the spillover effect is going to be here in, in the Western world and, and amongst markets. So, I mean... We're seeing stocks with PE ratios of 30 and 40% because of the current treasury rate at the 1.3%. I mean, they're highly uh, overvalued, and so there's no value for us to put our money into those uh, vehicles because they're just not going to accumulate at the rate that we need them to. Mm. And so this leads us on to where do you saw your money? And in my opinion... Like all of my liquid net worth is invested within crypto, and majority of it is in Bitcoin. And, and I mean, you know, the market caps side of things is is really important. So for for someone who's kind of listening, right? Can you explain market caps, right? And and I guess what they mean, and and how they, you know, kind of how does that factor in, right? To in terms of what do you mean? What do like you mean around an asset class, right? Yeah. So like you know. If Tesla has a market cap of X and, and or more so probably more equities as a whole versus property as a whole and, and looking at these market caps, because obviously crypto is very new, so the market cap's very low, which means it's got a lot of future growth. So, okay, so people often will say to me, all right, so I think that the crypto space over the next six months is going to expand by, say, 10X, so a multiple of 10X. So it'll go from current value of $2 trillion to... 12 trillion or 20 trillion dollars or whatever and they think all right so where's that 18 trillion going to come from but that's not how market cap is actually worked uh worked out so the thing like it's not a dollar put into bitcoin isn't going to increase the market cap of a dollar into bitcoin it comes down to the supply side of things and so what we've been seeing over the last three months is we've seen an accumulation of long-term holders within bitcoin accumulating up the, the current supply of coins on the market. And so there is an infinite amount of coins that are actually being uh, uh, being mined and are being distributed into the market. You've obviously got people who, who come in and they sell for, for potentially a profit or a loss or whatever the case may be. But because there's only an infinite amount of supply that's currently out there, we're now seeing a peak period where there is a massive amount of demand for, for Bitcoin and that sort of thing. 
And so because of that, uh, the price of the coin is going to get pent up uh, and just pushed higher. And this is when we're going to start to see prices where, uh, especially once FOMO sort of hits hits its peak, we're going to start to see prices where, based on a couple of charts that we're about to look at, we're going to see prices where Bitcoin could potentially be 250000 by the end of December. Crazy. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. Let's. So what we're going to do now, guys, is just pull up some charts uh, and Brados is going to kind of give you... So if you're on the audio version, we do apologise, but head over to the YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button. Uh, um, but take a look at these charts um, and, and kind of what we're talking about because um, the visual side of this is is quite... Quite uh, quite. It's an eye opener. It's fucking amazing. It's, <laughs> it's so cool. Um, but yeah, jump on over. Um, so the first chart that we're looking at, Brados, is the Bitcoin price current versus Bitcoin price of 2012 and 13. So I'll get you to give a bit of so an this analysis kind of, here. Yeah, this kind of plays into the psychology that you were talking about. Like it's interesting when we when we come to these periods at the end of a, a the four year halvening cycle, we start to see pretty much the same sort of price movements um, and then eventually once it sort of reaches its peak everyone starts to think like I need to start selling down and so it, it comes back to the psychology of the way that people think about how these cycles are going to work mm. but we're currently looking at a price uh, of Bitcoin compared to its run up in 2013 and you look at that and it pretty much fits the exact model you know and and this is just this just comes down to the adoption effect of Bitcoin and its network effect and so Based on this chart, if we continue to see this, uh, the same pattern over on the left-hand side, you can see that uh, towards the end of December, we're going to see a price of 250000 uh, And that's just if like, a lot of people in this space are starting to think that this, uh, this market's going to expand into uh, the early part of next year because the way that institutionals uh, invest their money is they, they invest their money on a quarterly basis. And so throughout this period, we're going to see a lot of FOMO come out from the retail side. And then there's going to be a FOMO. There could potentially be a FOMO Correct. from the institutional side. And so once they, they realize their budgets at the end of 2021, at the end of December, they'll start distributing into this network too because they won't want to miss out on, on these massive gains. And so a lot of people in the space are now predicting that uh, we're going to see a Bitcoin price of potentially 400000 by the end of February, March. And so that's a lot of a price appreciation from it, its current level now, um, which is quite exciting. Yeah, and I think it's 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 very interesting, right? So when you look at these graphs, and and you know, it's it's especially because you know we've been following these for quite a while, but it's it's so interesting to see, you know, like someone that we follow, Jeff Booth, he summed it up really well in his book, where he sort of he allowed people to sort of recognize that network effects are a cause of Moore's law and how technology uh, seems to just spread this network effect across people and Bitcoin seems to be the way that we we can visualize that from a from a financial perspective because typically like this is like even VCs and that sort of thing they're not catching on to Bitcoin because uh, it's it's interesting that they're not catching on because it's the exact same model that they invested into Facebook and and these early stage startups from back in the 2000s. You know, it's this is the exact same model and we're starting to see this over the long term. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's kind of what I was going to say, right? It's 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 interesting to look at this graph and then 
think about it from an adoption perspective and then think about all the little events that happened. So that big spike there and then what drove that to go down was the Elon saga, right? And and that's what drove that spike. And the China ban as well. Yeah, the China ban and these kind of things. But I think, you know, when you think about it from an ado- adoption perspective, like the incentives there, we talked about it, you know, like this is this is the chance for us as young individuals to actually see, to invest in something that's going to appreciate, uh, you know, in value and increase your wealth, not just store it, but increase it compared to debt, mm-hmm. right? And just kind of going into debt, right? So the incentives there, it's like network effects is that when somebody when we bring a, another node or another person into that network, it increases the value of it. And that's really what we see here. The more people that we see investing in Bitcoin, the, the, you know, as a network, we all, we all, we all reap the rewards, we all benefit, yeah. right? And 100%. that's the whole thing is like, you know, why do, why do people talk about, like, you know, anyone who talks about Bitcoin, you kind of think's crazy until you're actually in Bitcoin and you understand what's going on. Exactly. Right. So it's like, okay, well, as this network expands, right? So, that's what we're going to see. And, and why do we see the big spike? Well, think about it. What are the, who are the, like, we, we want to see the most valuable people or the, the most high wealth people and the, and the, and companies and organizations bring into the network because that's when the network becomes its most valuable, right? So, so what you were just saying then is that not only is it because more money is going to be coming in, but that the, the actual value of the network as a whole dramatically increases, right? And, yeah. and again, again, it gets to a point where, if someone you know, even if they've put, you know, $1,000 in, right, and that thousand's turned into five, and all of a sudden that's a life-changing amount, and it is for some, right? Um, if that happens, that person then goes to the neighbor. Oh, man, like, have you seen what's been going on, right? Like, have you, yeah. have, are you invested in Bitcoin? Are you invested in Bitcoin? And then that's just how this happens. As far as the conversation. And, like, initially you get into Bitcoin because you think, like, it's about making money. Once you're in it, like you, you don't really care about the money. Like you just start to really care about the actual the philosophy. Yeah, the philosophy and the just adoption that's happening, and like you see it uh, in the third world countries too. Like they're actually really benefit, uh, benefiting from this sort of technology, and we're going to eventually start to see it everywhere. Uh, to the point where we might even have a Bitcoin standard where everything in the world sort of adjusts. Because if that ever happens, we'll see interest rates increase because of uh, crypto lending and all these sort of things, we'll see interest rates increase up to 10%, which will compact current equity prices and property prices to a point where they're more um, reasonably valued. So around that sort of 10% PE and these sort of things. And then that's when the distribution of wealth will spread out because people who are um, big big holders, people who are big holders of coins, they'll want to distribute that because they can now afford to buy property. They can afford to go out and buy equities because companies are always going to play their part. They have moving pieces that are contributing to society and all these sort of things. Like, oh my, I'm so bullish on this face. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. We're going to move to the next one. Yeah, and so again, the next one is the Ethereum chart compared to the Bitcoin chart from 2017. And you can see again, it just fits the mold perfectly. And so from this point of view, uh, Ethereum is currently, and this is on a log chart, so that's why it's sort of, it's more of a, a linear sort of thing. Whereas if you extrapolate this out onto a, a normal chart, you'll sort of see that exponential curve. 
but from this one, again, you can sort of see where Ethereum is going just based on the adoption effect of it all. Yeah, and I think this, again, just talks to the fact that it, technology as a whole is is truly about adoption, right? So, so you know, um, Ethereum is following the same path as Bitcoin was because it, it's, it's it's not about the actual coin itself it's yeah. or, or you know the the company or the organization it's about the adoption of technology exactly, exactly. And, and really we're talking about here like the adoption of crypto and blockchain right like that's what we're talking about right and and there's going to be a lot that fail right but then there's going to be ones that really succeed and they're going to follow the same adoption effects as the ones that exactly. are already succeeding and it just depends on their life cycle so obviously bitcoin is a lot older than ethereum and so that's why Bitcoin, we're seeing it reach this new sort of highs, whereas Ethereum is a lot later in the in the life cycle. But it's at the life cycle where we saw Bitcoin in 2017 and the adoption of Bitcoin back then. And so this is why, like, it's so funny how these these charts just fit into one another. And I, I mean, it's it's pretty safe to assume that um, they're going to continue along these adoption rates. If you like, if you were giving advice on someone and they said, there we go. <laughs> they yeah. said, uh, what one should I purchase if I can only purchase one of them? Mm-hmm. Would you go still Bitcoin or would you don't answer that? <laughs> <laughs> don't answer that. I, I, I mean, I'm just going to jump in. It's very hard for us to, to answer that question. We're not trying to tell anyone what they should do. More importantly, show information, right, that allows people to make their own decision. Yeah, because go out pe- and do the research for yourself. You know, and, and I always say the best way to learn about these things is to get some skin in the game, even if that's to go and put $1, you know. That way, at least then you can track the movements and you start to research the space. And, like, we started off, uh, what, last year and we sort of built up this conviction and then all of a sudden I made my, my original purchase and then, like, you followed soon after and eventually, like, the more time you spend in this space... I went from one third of my my net worth in in Bitcoin, and now I, as of this week, I'll be a hundred percent into into this space, and so into crypto. Yeah, into crypto. So, I mean, it, it comes down to your risk tolerance too. Bitcoin is is the one that is the most standard and and has uh, is completely decentralized. Ethereum, like the the more you sort of extrapolate out, these different coins have uh, more centralized um, concerns along the way, and so. Uh, you probably need to uh, allocate your portfolio in in that sort of way that you're protecting your your initial value worth and then maybe just spreading a little bit amount uh, hmm. amongst the alternatives as well. I only ask the questions that you know everyone wants to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Boy, Disco, what, what's he doing? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, uh, rule of thumb for me is like whatever you're willing to lose. Like, and that's 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 dire straits, right? Like that's assuming the worst possible thing in the world could happen, which, it, you know... It, I just it, weigh up the opportunity cost as well, so... That's probably a better term. Yeah, I, I mean, I could hold my money within property, I can hold it within equities and that sort of thing, but I've already touched on interest rates being as low as what they currently are, credit is being as cheap as what it possibly is. We're seeing prices that have just skyrocketed, and so amongst equities, the price-to-earnings ratios are just extremely expensive property is extremely expensive right now are we going to see a lot of growth in that space moving forward with all the economic uncertainty i don't know whereas i see the adoption that's taking place in this space because i live and breathe this space now it in my mind that's that's the opportunity cost for me is i think that i can get a better return in this space at least for right now 
this yeah. it's an ever evolving market yeah. it can always change there's going to be new regulation new uncertainty out in the world too so we'll see all right so this is an interesting one that you're probably going to have to do a bit of explaining on and i'm probably going to have to pull you up when you use <laughs> spanish to explain it <laughs> all right so this uh this explains the the market cap uh within the entire crypto space as a whole uh and you can see currently it's I mean, this this model is a little bit outdated, but we're seeing the the market cap of the whole industry at about two trillion dollars. So, can you just explain market cap in really layman's terms again, just so that people can tie it into what we're talking about? Yeah. So, the market cap is essentially the price multiplied by the available, the the supply of coins and this sort of thing. And so, when you extrapolate that all out, that's how you get the market cap um, of of the entire market. And so, what we're seeing here is we're seeing uh, this is essentially a adoption curve of the entire space. And what we're currently seeing is the whole entire crypto market is two standard deviations away from uh, the, the sort of growth curve that we see um, from this adoption effect. Uh, and typically at the end of a bull market, we tend to say, or we tend to see that uh, the crypto space is two standard deviations overbought. So it's currently two standard deviations under uh, undersold. Over, sorry, oversold. Uh, towards the end of a, a market, we're going to see potentially two uh, standard deviations overbought. And so when you extrapolate that all the way out to your your December, January, February, we can see there that the the market goes up. It creeps up into the between the six trillion and the twelve trillion dollar mark. Yeah. So, so that sort of gives you an indication of where this market's going to go. Mm over the next couple of months. Yeah, and I think, so, uh, like, for those of you who didn't understand that, right, the way I look at it is you've got t- two blue lines, right? <laughs> and this sounds really silly, but <laughs> this is going to help a lot of people. Two blue lines and a red line. So the two blue lines below the red line means that it's oversold, right, and that tells you how much it's oversold, and then the two blue lines above the red line tell you if it's overbought. So essentially it's saying that the the... The lines underneath the red one is that it's basically on sale uh, as opposed to it being completely marked up and you and know usu- you're getting ripped off. Usually we see a correction, so we see a downturn when it's overbought. And that comes into the human psychology of it all, yeah. So, you know, and, and then th- another way to look at it is you kind of can see these different cycles, right? So it's hard to say how long it's going to take to get overbought, but... Um, what it is saying is that there's probably some really good months ahead, right? Um, and all the on-chain analytics and data is pointing to it being a really good time to, to get into this market. I'm extremely bullish, if you can't tell. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, it, I mean, once you start to look at these graphs and you can start to make sense of them, and, and that's really what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to show you the, the, the actual data and the graphs here because really this is information and this is... This is where you can start to make some decisions and, and for yourself. And so I think this shows that, you know, the adoption again, um, but the market cap and, and, and gives you a bit of an insight into, you know, the psychology of, of not only yourself, but everyone in, in this space, um, which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Epic. Is there anything else we wanted to go over? No, I think that covers it. I'm sure we'll get a lot of questions on this one and we'll, we'll probably have to touch on it uh, in a couple of weeks as well, but... No, it's just... We wanted to, again, like, just go over this because 
there's a lot happening. You know, there's so much happening in this space right now. There's just so much going on, not only just in crypto, but in the financial space. Like, mm. you know, we're seeing property markets, profit, you know, the prices are going crazy. Seeing everything happening with all the supply chain issues. and yeah, yeah, it's just, and navigating this for yourselves, like again, you know, we believe building wealth is a, an absolute pillar to improving your life and, and getting ahead, right? And, and understanding how to navigate this space is one of our missions on the Investors Podcast, one of your missions as, as the host and, and the person um, who's kind of pioneering this, this episode. Um, and we wanted to kind of bring you a bit of an overview um, as to how we're seeing it. And, and there are other views and, and they're, you know, they're, a lot of them are warranted and everybody's got different views on the space. But we were just hoping that we could bring some insight to this for you guys. Bloody exciting. <laughs> All right, guys. Rock and roll. Disco. Peace out. Braids. <laughs> Big thanks for listening in, guys. Um, again, all the support's been great, so um, we just really appreciate it. Some messages and, and so on, just just amazing at the moment. We're really enjoying the process of putting this together and, and what we're building here. So a massive thanks to you guys, and we'll see you next week. Hey, guys, so as we end today's podcast, uh, I wanted to say a massive thank you uh, to you, You've made it to the end, so you've tuned into the whole episode, which is something that we're extremely grateful for. Um, if you're new to the podcast, um, hitting the subscribe button is really, really important to us because it really helps us out a lot. The more subscribers we get, the more, um, you know, the, the bigger the community we build, the, the, the more that we can progress with our vision uh, and the more that we can start to expand and, and keep having, you know, these amazing conversations. Uh, so we're really thankful. Um, and... One thing that we're also really thankful for, which, you know, has been a big driver for me personally with the podcast is just the messages that we get on the Instagram. I'm, I, I still go through the Instagram and, 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 and like to have conversations with people that uh, are engaging with us. Um, it means so much and it's, it's great to hear the stories of people progressing and learning and, and how we're impacting you the listener um so that's something we're really appreciative of and i actually want to go through and and actually mention some people who we had some great conversations with on our social media um and and you know for you know these these people reached out so um alicia pyers um it was great chatting with you and i'm i'm super appreciative for you reaching out um to the instagram um and and it's great to to hear your story and and what's inspiring you and and the changes that you're making uh, and also Jess Dinning. Jess was lucky enough to talk to you last week um, and that was really, really amazing. Um, and, and just the same thing goes. The, the conversations that we have with you guys, um, it's, it's crazy um, how much of a, an impact it makes on us as, 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 a, as a company and, and what we're striving to do. So um, a massive thank you to you two um, and everybody else who's reaching out and sharing and doing those things. Um, but the two things that you can do that will help us the most is make sure that you're subscribed and um, a big thanks to everyone who's leaving reviews as well because that shows people that this is a safe space for them to come and listen and learn and, and that's really the most important things to us. Really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will see you next week.